When I sit down with someone who's a stakeholder, I try to understand what their pains are by previous learning that has not gone well or has not addressed the issue. And then try to address it, provide them a different lens on what is maybe happening. Maybe they have a high turnover rate. Maybe Mm -hmm. a number of the employees in their area are being promoted. So you continuously have these gaps. You may go in there and say, well, you know what? You're obviously doing something right because you got a lot of people in this group that are being promoted for that. Let's try to address Mm -hmm. what is really needed out of the current group that we have right now and then try to build on that, concentrate on Mm -hmm. what they currently are dealing with. How can we look at it like we have a lens into the future one or three years? What will that look like? How can we build on this now so that in one year or three years, we're not coming back and saying the same thing. Hi, I'm Manya, the host of Your Greatest Work podcast. This is a show for course creators and thought leaders who are creating a learning experience for their audience. I'm going to help you in this podcast by bringing on guest speakers and having great discussions with people from around the world on how to create really amazing learning experiences that get great results for learners. That's what we're here for, right, folks? Well, enjoy this next episode. Hi, thank you so much for joining this episode of Your Greatest Work podcast. And we have an interesting guest today. Vince is joining us. And Vince and I used to work together at BMO back in the day, I'll say. You've been there for nine years, Vince, but uh, we worked together on some projects, specifically e-learning development. And I understand that you are doing a lot more than e-learning now. You've really contributing a lot to learning experience design at one of Canada's big banks. And so that makes you an awesome expert to have on our show today. So thank you so much. I think you're an interesting guy. You've always been a pleasure to work with. And uh, you've got some, a cool kind of side project, which is this blog that you've been writing from your perspective as a, a coach. So it sounds like we both have some experience coaching kids. Uh, mine was in, in music education and you in sports. So that's actually how I got started in learning design. And I think um, it gives us a really cool lens that we can bring into our work. So thank you, Vince. That was a big intro and um, thanks for joining. So maybe you want to add a little bit to what I talked about here. Absolutely. Hi, Manya. Thank you for having me on. Yes, my name is Vince Grabowski. I am a learning experience designer at BMO and have been there for coming up on nine years now. In my overall career, I've spent the last 25 years in education ranging everything from grade school all the way through to college and and helping to not only design, but also write and edit and deliver world-class training wherever I am. My experience in the development side on e-learning was a lot of understanding what the functionality of programs could bring to the learning experience. As I've transitioned into the new role now, I get an opportunity to look into how the mindset of the learner is going to drive what we're delivering to them. And I would like to take a little bit of time throughout this podcast and to or this episode to help you to understand what that means for the learner and what it means for the people who are designing and developing 
not only e-learning, but digital learning, period, because it goes way beyond e-learning. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I think it's important, especially as we talk about the future of learning and the way that we are approaching learning design in general, it's much more from that user's perspective. And what are they dealing with? What are they encountering? What are they thinking and feeling? And can we meet them where they're at and create content that's going to be really useful for them, super valuable and easy for them to access while they're actually working, right, in that workflow? So tell me a little bit more about digital learning and and what your thoughts are around creating engaging digital learning. Well, one of the things that really pushed us into, or me, into a future of, of learning, especially in the digital environment, was the onset of the pandemic and folks mm-hmm. having to work from home. Now, this did a couple of things. First of all, it put people who would normally not be in front of a computer screen all day long, but would be moving in and out of rooms for meetings or meeting with people sort of over the the desk wall or in offices into a completely virtual environment. How did that change Mm -hmm. my thinking? Well, it started to give me insight into the strain, not only from a physical standpoint, but from a mental standpoint. So if we're now going through and we're asking folks to not only attend meetings online in virtual environment, and we're asking them to take learning online in a virtual environment, Mm -hmm. what is that going to do to their stress level? And then on top of that, we got to keep in mind everything else that goes on in their daily routines. What I did was to take a look at what is going on in the rest of the training environment and then try to incorporate some of those ideas into what I was researching. One of the things that Mm -hmm. has really hit home for me during my research over the past few months has been the willingness of developers to put themselves into the mindset of the learner and to deliver only what the learner is asking for. So if the learner is is not looking for an hour-long e-course, but they're looking for answers to three questions, how can we deliver that to them? How can we be there Mm -hmm. with them to give them only what they're asking for? And then to adjust that design and development so that if the learner needs more, the AI behind some of the learning can automatically adapt to what the learner is asking for and what they've answered from a competency standpoint and then deliver additional information to help them not only retain and uh, take in new knowledge, but also be able to use that immediately. And then also be able to use it later on in their job. Very cool. So can you give me um, just a a simple example of what you've done differently this year? Uh, One of the things that we've done a little bit differently this year is to look into how scenario-based learning, in addition to test out options for learners who are more seasoned in specific material, can work in conjunction with one another. I'll give you a kind of a specific example here. Yeah, that'd be great. Let's say we're giving a, a learning on how to make a specific type of dinner. And there are five or six different courses. Well, the learner knows how to make the salad, maybe. Maybe they know how to make the bread. And they just want a refresher on what types of ingredients go into it. How can we then provide mm-hmm. that only to the person who's making that, the chef at the time? 
And then maybe they need a little bit more detail, maybe a video or maybe some audio instruction or maybe even a PDF on how to properly sear the steak, saute the vegetables that go with it, and then how to dress the plate so it's it looks like uh, you want it to look. All, how do we do mm-hmm. all those things? Well, those are what we're looking into right now, and that's what I'm trying to do is to how do I incorporate that that uh, in-the-moment video so that you can make your presentation of food perfect. And that little PDF that says you only need these ingredients instead of having to read through something that's long or listen to something that's 40 minutes or longer. And I think actually that's great to hear that the big companies are doing that, Vince, and that you're doing that research. Because I've been seeing a lot this year some new learning management systems and some new technologies that actually support the delivery of this a lot more, um, where it's more searchable and the content or learning assets inside it are all kind of at their smallest form so that you can link them together or loop them together. But they're easily searched for and people can consume just the individual bits. If they just need the recipe, they can just pull the recipe. If they need a video on how to be able to, like you say, sear the steak, they can access that. So are you finding what, maybe I should say, you've got the thinking down pat. And I think it's great for us to be thinking of things at this micro level. But what hurdles are you experiencing right now? Is it with delivering this within your current technology or is it the appetite of the business stakeholders? Where do you think that the biggest challenges are for getting what we know to be the right um, delivery method? Where are you finding that hurdle? We know what we need to do. It's just a matter of how, you know, getting the approvals to do this. So what do you think? Well, I think it's a really great question. And from the research that I've done, I've seen companies having having some challenges around how do we convert what we've been doing for years and years and years from an IDLT standpoint or even a virtual standpoint into this just-in-time or adaptive or whatever other type of emerging methodologies are out there and still be able to engage our employees properly, knowing the stress they're under, and be able to provide them a means to retain this Mm -hmm. so that they can not only upskill at their current position, but maybe move forward into something that they want to do. So that may be one big hurdle. Another big hurdle, it's not really a hurdle, it's more of an unknown, because right now we don't know what the, the total impact of folks working remotely for over a year is going to be once we return back into that working environment. Mm-hmm. Where we're all together. So how do we go about understanding that level of stress or uncertainty around where folks want to be in their career going forward in order to be able to provide them what they want? So I think really mm-hmm. what you're I'm going a long, a long way around it, but I think really what the thing is is how do we really get to what the learner um, needs? and can reduce their stress level and provide them with a means of support as they learn going forward. Yeah, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head. There is a lot of uncertainty and it's hard to know um, how people are going to be and what ca- careers are changing so fast and just the skills that are required and the mindsets required are, are changing fast, right? So it's 
it's interesting from a designer or developer standpoint to think, um, how do we create content that's going to meet the needs of these learners? You know, like, how do you put yourself into that learner shoes or that learner's persona to be able to create something that's actually impactful or meaningful for them? So I guess we're talking a little bit about tactics now when we're, when we're going about creating learning, but what do you like to do? What's your personal way? Yeah, and I just want to take a step back because uh, you just mentioned something there, Manu, that has, has brought me to another area where folk, where companies may have some barriers to success in this arena, and that's how do we merge the softwares or the tools that we're going to be using? Right now, there's so many companies out there that are providing means of immersive learning or in-the-moment learning or adaptive learning. and some of them are relatively new. So that technology obviously needs to be vetted. There are multiple learning management systems out there. Sometimes we don't know how that's going to integrate with them. Uh, how, how do we report on these things? How do we track? How can we take what we've learned from those learners and then pay it forward into learning in the future? Mm -hmm. uh, one, one, thing that, one thing that's changed in my thinking, especially around software, is the idea around immersive learning. When we think when uh, one of the barriers to immersive learning in the past, and specifically like VR, virtual reality, would be the cost. Right? There's a very large cost to it. Now, as we try to connect with um, learners, we can look at immersive as something other than putting on a pair of goggles and being in a 3D environment. It's got to be a safe environment. It's got to be a supportive environment. It's got to be maybe something they can do in bits and pieces because immersive technology has evolved so much in really just the last five years. Mm -hmm. So when I do my research or whenever I'm looking online or I'm doing my writing, I try to think like a learner more than a designer or a developer. And what is this, what is this experience going to make me feel? What's it going to want to make me do at the end? Am mm -hmm. I going to want to share this with somebody else? Do I have ways that maybe we can make this better? So I start to think more like a learner, and, and you hit on a really big word, and that's what's the impact going to be? Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes, sometimes learners just don't have the time to sit down and interact with an e-learning or a digital learning in some way. So these these ways of looking at new and emerging methodologies and technologies also needs to be merged with existing technologies and methodologies mm -hmm. in order to provide a complete learning experience. Yeah, that's a great point because sometimes we can easily get distracted with what's the newest and the shiniest and the coolest thing that's going to, you know, attract attention at the, you know, corporate or executive level. But that's not always necessary, right? Sometimes, like you say, the learner just needs the recipe. They don't need you to create a virtual reality ho hologram of the steak on the plate. Like they just need the recipe. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's true. We can overcomplicate things. And I think that's why the number one key is that we think like our learner and we get to know our learner more and know what do they actually want? What do they need rather than what do we want to push on them? Um, you know, for the sake of 
we need an e-learning here. And I think that has been a mind shift in the learning industry as a whole, which is good. That's good news. (laughs) I think it's great news. (laughs) Yeah, definitely great news. So um, let's talk a little bit about what you are excited about creating. So is there anything that's coming up or anything that you've been working on that's been really exciting for you or anything that you think is really making a huge impact on the results for the people that you're creating it for? It's beautiful that we got a chance to talk about this, Manya, because through my research uh, over the past few months, I've really learned what different methodologies are as far as learning goes and what technologies are available. Okay. Yeah. Tell me more about those different learning methods. So uh, the, the big one that jumps out to me right now is the uh, methodology and concepts around social learning. Okay. If we think about uh, a Facebook or an Instagram or a TikTok, any of these social media platforms, when we see something that is meaningful to us, one of the first things we do is either like it or share it. Mm-hmm. Well, if we could somehow understand moving from a formal learning environment, such as a classroom or a virtual environment, into an informal learning environment where collaboration really increases the knowledge of all those involved. Social learning gives us that tool to do that. It, it can be as simple as a wiki. It can be a blog. It can, see, it can be a one-pager. It can be something that I tap you on the shoulder when I see you're available and say, hey, can you answer a question for me? And it goes into a community type chat. These types of things in social learning, in my opinion, are really exploding when it comes to teaching one another. And it can work in a good way and it obviously can work in the reverse. Mm -hmm. But I'm seeing it more from the good way. The ability to share something with others and have them take it in and be able to use it for their own gain, their own department's game or gain or their own businesses gain and or even their community. If you think about how we use social learning techniques to help build the community or help the community when it's in need, those are the same principles and concepts we can use in a corporate environment to help lift people where they're asking to be lifted to. Platforms like a like a Yammer, like like Facebook. Or Slack. Do you use, you know, sometimes Slack in corporate uh, environments. Yeah, I haven't. I have not used it, but I have heard of it. Mm-hmm. It just depends yeah. on which softwares are adopted by the company you're working for, really. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So social learning really is, I think, one thing that's going to help whenever we move from that formal learning environment into an informal learning learning environment. When it when it comes to the formal and learning environment. Some of the technologies that I've seen that could really be helpful are in the adaptive learning. And one of the things that uh, one of the companies we did research with showed us the way we can upskill and upskill workers and learners in a specific area that they need to be certified in or qualified in in order to do a specific job. Okay, like what, for example? So let's say we needed to 
upskill our dental hygienists on the newest way for to use certain instruments in the office. Okay. Using adaptive learning will allow the learner to judge their own knowledge of something. And then the AI behind the platform could then tailor that course to give them material that will strengthen them in the areas that they need to be certified or qualified on so that they can get to that next level. They can get to the competency to be able to say, yes, this person is now qualified to use these new instruments and it can, the, the AI platform and the adaptive learning platform can then list those individuals for a supervisor or an office manager to say, okay, Manya is now qualified to do this. She can now work on Tuesdays and Thursdays where we have this new equipment in the office. Uh, that's real results in a real situation. I think, I think that's so cool. Sorry, I hope I didn't cut you off. My mind was going a mile a minute there because I'm seeing this concept uh, becoming most valuable um, currently. And I'm finding this a lot with my entrepreneur clients because they often have entrepreneurs or their own clients that they're working with coming in with a huge variety of competencies across a spectrum. And we're creating, you know, matrices, which would help them try to figure out the bits and pieces that they can assess their clients on so that they can create this learning plan that's got all the right little bits and pieces. Because it can be very overwhelming for a client to enter into um, a new learning portal and have access to tons of resources and assets. It can just be like, I don't even know where to start. So trying to help people create this assessment for their clients, which they can then see, okay, I can pull these five assets right now. It's going to help me with one of my most important needs at the moment. So I think there's a lot of opportunity here and it would be a really interesting side discussion just on how to create this and, you know, actually implement this. Um, so can, let's talk a little bit more about this because I think it's new and it's intriguing and it's very useful for learners because it helps to create this more personalized learning experience. So are you in incorporating this adaptive learning currently with any of your um, learner groups at the bank? So I, I can't speak specifically to what we are doing. I can speak to my personal experiences and my my personal research, which is uh, what I'm talking about here. And uh, hopefully you understand that. Oh, I definitely, yeah. Maybe do some vague examples um, just to sort of generally say how you're seeing, um, you know, people being assessed and then maybe helping match them to stuff that would be most useful. I think that's what people are curious sure. about. So let's look at a couple of examples. Let's look at uh, the medical field. Uh when it comes to dialysis machines and using and, and greeting patients and bringing them into uh, the area where they're getting dialysis, there are several different skills that need to be gained in order to be able to do all that, right? You have to have good conversational skills. You have to have the ability to understand possibly how to start an IV, how to work the machines and so on and so forth. So for those soft skills parts of it, the adaptive learning can gauge the employee. The beautiful thing about the adaptive learning scenario or methodology is that the employee gets to gets to rate themselves. Okay, I I feel like I'm I'm pretty proficient in this. Mm -hmm. When 
the learner then goes through and they start to take the assessments that are provided within a system, whatever it may be, and there's plenty of companies out there that do it, it starts to read their answers based on what the learner felt like was their competency level and and the answers they're giving. And then it will adjust the content that they're giving, whether or not they miss an answer or they get an answer right, they can go to the next level of learning, which would allow them to not only work on their soft skills, but identify the proper procedure for starting an IV, identify all the components of the proper machine they're going to be using, and then give them a qualification at the end that says, okay, you're more than proficient in this, you're an advanced learner, and you can be qualified to do this job. In other words, you can manage this dialysis center from the reception of the customers all the way through until they're finished with their uh, daily their daily um, treatment here. Uh, secondly, you can think about it in terms of possibly a, a manufacturing a manufacturing scenario where we're trying to build something and we have specific parts that go into need to go in in a certain order through this assembly line or different parts of a manufacturing line period could be different parts of the country and you can and mm-hmm. i think a lot about this for the from the automobile industry stand standpoint if you want to become more of that engineer part of it where you understand the complete flow of the assembly line you need to be able to qual- be qualified and understand what is happening at each section of that assembly line and then you can go through that in an adaptive learning environment it can give you pieces of that based on again how you assess yourself and what is required to take to understand and be competent in each level or each section of that particular assembly line and then at the end of the assessment if you're marked as someone who has excelled or is competent, uh, you can possibly manage that entire assembly line. So those are real results for companies to be able to identify those individuals who have put in the effort, have an understanding of the material, and can demonstrate through adaptive learning courses that they are able to do it. So it sort of puts a little check mark beside a learner's name to say, yep, you're ready to go, and we have proof of it. Yeah, this is also such an interesting way to help bridge gaps between learning that occurs um, around the world. So let's just say, you know, somebody comes from a different country, they immigrate to wherever they're now working, and all of a sudden they realize there's a fair bit of their work that isn't recognized or credentials look different. So it's an interesting way to assess and kind of qualify and help find the smaller gaps that exist within somebody's skill set or or their knowledge base. So it is great to see this happening. And um, I'm also doing a lot more thinking about how to create these systems so that it works best for, you know, finding those holes and creating new learning and getting it out to people in the right way. So I'm very interested in this topic, (laughs) as you can tell. (laughs) Yeah, um, we'll talk about this more offline, because I'll pick your brain about some of the research that you've been finding. Um, so another thing that I think is really key is, uh, influencing, um, the stakeholders. And I asked this question because I know that you have a lot of experience with this because it can be hard 
for us in the learning profession to say to the people who are paying the bills, this is what you need and here's why. So do you have any, like even just one or two favorite things that you like to do to really advocate for the learner experience? I think for me, when I step in, I really try to understand where the stakeholders are coming from. Even so, if we throw out, if we throw out the budget component of it, let's say we, there is no money involved in the, the design and development of a course. When I sit down with someone who's a stakeholder, I try to understand what their pains are by previous learning that has not gone well or has not addressed the issue. Because a lot of times that breeds sort of a skepticism in stakeholders on if if we even should move forward. So an understanding from their standpoint mm. that we keep coming back, it's the same thing. We still have these gaps. And then try to address it, try to look at it then or, or provide them a different lens on what is maybe happening. Maybe they have a high turnover rate. Maybe mm-hmm. a number of the employees in their area are being promoted. So you continuously have these gaps because of attrition or because of promotions. And you, 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 mm-hmm. may, you may go in there and say, well, you know what? You're obviously doing something right because you got a lot of people in this division that are being, or this uh, group that are being promoted. So you should pat yourself on the back for that. Let's try to address mm-hmm. what is really needed out of the current group that we have right now and then try to build on that going forward. So try to start with a small positive uh, from the group, concentrate on Mm -hmm. what they currently are dealing with. And then as you get through that part, okay, we know exactly where our gaps are and what we need to, to address. How can we look at it like we have a lens into the future one or three years. And what will that look like? How can we build on this now so that in one year or three years, we're not coming back and saying the same thing? What are things we can address in this moment? Yeah, that's interesting. Do you bring a lot of research to the table as well? It sounds like you love to research. So do you try to bring in stuff from just industry data or or stats? Do you find that helpful? Sometimes, or sometimes it's just a, Hey, we found yeah. another another group that was experiencing similar things, obviously not exact, but similar, and they adjusted their mm-hmm. thinking on this. And here's what they're thinking now. What do you mm. think? Because sometimes it's not me that does the influencing. It could be, well, let me put you in contact with Manya uh, because she went through something very similar. Why don't you two have a discussion? Mm-hmm. Or if you don't mind, I'll mediate it. That kind of a thing. And and sometimes that yep. that peer conversation and influence pulls a little bit more weight. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you're very diplomatic. Oh, it's so true. I'm like, you're navigating this like such a pro. <laughs> I know the position you're in because there's a high level of privacy, right? With uh with the work that you do and the company you work for. So I can totally um appreciate the great job you're doing here as, as you're sharing. Well, when you, you talk, <laughs> you talk about influencing the big thing for someone in a position like mine is you can't go in there and say, I know everything, right? That's where 
you got to go in there and go, hmm, I'm really curious about this. Why don't you tell me more about what you do? Yeah. Well, and I think the same goes for, um, you know, people who work with other clients in a freelance way or, um, you know, you always have to come in with that curiosity and asking those questions and finding out the pain points and how can we work side by side to create a solution, right? It's it's a very collaborative, almost like, um, you know, intimate approach because you you do have to get to know each other really well and build that level of trust. And one of my coaching clients, she's having some trouble just with her subject matter experts, you know, and that's another area of navigation and relationship management that we have in our role as learning experience designers, because often we're relying heavily on the expertise of somebody else. Um, do you have any tips for working with subject matter experts? And um, yeah, like what are some of your favorite, maybe non-obvious things that you like to do with SMEs, as we call them? <laughs> I love to listen to them because I'm, I'm a learner first. That's first and foremost, I want to be able to hear what they have to say. Secondly, I really try to give them feedback based on not where their competency level is, but where mine is. Let me give you an example. Um, I'm not an auto mechanic at all. I take my car in and whatever needs to be done, it's done. However, I have someone I trust. They're a phenomenal mechanic. And when they say to me, well, you know, this this uh, catalytic converter is in, is got a hole in it and you're going to have mm-hmm. a lot of problems with it. I sit there and I say, okay, well, first of all, you need to explain to me what catalytic converter is. And then secondly, I need layman's terms. Now, in doing that, what I have found is that the SMEs will pause. And a number of times mm. they'll come back and say, you know what? You're right. I'm, I've been doing this for 10 years. So someone who's brand new to role, yep. no matter what it is, a mechanic, a chef, it doesn't matter. They're not going to understand this language. And I think that's, that's a really huge yep. part of making that connection with a SME. I'm not, I, I respect what they know. Don't get me wrong. And I, I tell them right up front, okay, you're the expert. The E and and SME stands for expert. So uh, just make make that totally clear to them. Um, Another thing I try to do is Mm -hmm. I ask them, if you were going to sit down and take this course, how long would it take you? And then they usually say, oh, I could probably do it in 20 minutes. I said, okay, now I'll triple that because that's you, right? There's terminology in here that I've never seen before. There's... I've never even been in this system. Maybe it's a systems training. And that also gives them pause. And then the last thing I try to do is say, if you've worked on something this, like this before, what's worked for you? And do mm-hmm. you think it'll work mm-hmm. here? It sounds like your approach is really to get at the person. You know, you get, you, you're curious and you ask those questions and you get them to really demonstrate empathy and think about the learner first and foremost. And I feel like unless you're working with somebody who's really hard, <laughs> um, these are approaches that, you know, generally work really well with our stakeholders and our subject matter experts. And um, so I think, you know, you've given 
some great food for thought today. And I'm curious if you were to pick something like a dream um, concept to create or something that you'd be really interested in trying out in learning, what would it be? Wow. That's not a hard question to answer at all. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. okay. So I've been finding lately that um, augmented reality, I actually haven't created anything in that yet, but I'm having conversations with um, another learning professional who's doing this in a really cool way. Like they, it's not augmented reality just for the sake of it, but it's super effective. Like it basically is making a huge impact for their clients. So that's something that I'd be kind of curious to do. But again, it has to be just the right scenario because there's no point in doing it just for the sake of it. It's a waste. So that's my would love to try when the right opportunity presents itself. But what about you? Is there anything that you'd love to explore? Yes. Absolutely. I I think immersive learning where I would be able to feel a real connection with those that need to feel like they are supported, that they are visible, that they do matter. It's mm. it's difficult sometimes to not be able to design in that arena because I have an idea of what an ideal world could be, I don't get to experience it from that other side where I don't have any idea what an ideal world would be. So building something in that arena where I could truly feel, that could make me much better at storytelling, at empathy, at connection, and at understanding. I would like to see that. I think... uh, and I don't want to get on a soapbox, but I, I really feel like that would make me a better person. And what kind of a scenario do you think that could actually work out? Like what industry or what kind of a situation do you think might allow you to do that? Now I'm just brainstorming. (laughs) I think any service industry where you have to deal with people of all types. Um, and, And the reason why I say this is recently I, I felt a little, isolated because I wasn't get a re- getting a response from from someone I was emailing. And I was like, wow, I just don't like being blown off and that's not who I am. Well, it turns out the person's uh, son was badly injured and had to have surgery. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying put me in that situation where my son's hurt, but it, it, it would there be an opportunity to build learning where it would give me various opportunities to pause before I started going in a different direction. And oh, wow. And really feel something. Yes. You're, t- you're talking about, it sort of feels like creating lived experiences without actually having to live it. Right. And I feel like that's maybe the best approach to, to think about immersive, like to really get what that means. Because I, I did actually a podcast episode where it, I talked about in, until you've got skin in the game, you don't actually understand. It's still just theoretical, you know, and in order to have real empathy, you have to have kind of ha- experienced the thing already. So that is really interesting to create these opportunities without somebody necessarily having to always go through it in real life. 
Right. You're going deep, Vince. <laughs> well, there was research. <laughs> there was actually research. I don't know, say maybe about ten years ago, where when v, uh, VR just came out and a university adopted it to give students an opportunity to see what it was like to live in like an African village that had no water. So you had to walk and it was to promote, it was to promote empathy. And if I could find the research, I'll definitely send it to you. But I, that really was like, yes, we should all experience that Hmm. uh, in some way. We should all experience something that others can't. And now that VR immersive learning is helping people deal with anxieties and claustrophobia and, Mm -hmm and um, fear of heights and so on and so forth, I can see it changing our attitudes or at least change my attitude about um, the way I would look or feel if I was put in a certain situation. That's really cool. Um, Thanks for sharing that sort of pipe dream um, learning. And I think it's really cool to think even in just micro ways about how we can build this into our you know, our learning and what technologies maybe can we use to create different kind of immersive experiences. So I'm going to keep that in mind. You really made me think today, Vince. So I appreciate that. And I hope that the audience as well will appreciate some of these ways of thinking that you've proposed, because I heard a lot of empathy and a lot of putting ourselves in the learner's shoes, which I think is critically important for creating learning that gets results. So thanks again for being here. I really appreciate you having me on and uh, for giving me an opportunity to talk to you a bit about what's going on in the in the learning world. That's amazing. Well, have a great day and um, keep on innovating and researching because it's serving you well. <laughs> Will do. Thank you, Maya. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you were able to pull something really useful out of this episode. And I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please contact us if you'd like to learn more about anything that we've discussed or if you need help creating your next learning experience. We've got lots of great ways to work together and I would love to have a conversation to see if it might be the right fit. Also, consider leaving us a review and definitely subscribe so you don't miss out on any interesting topics that could really help you in your journey.